Good to see you all this morning. As Kirsten said earlier, my name's Tom, and uh, I lead the team of elders here at Hope. And today we're going to be continuing our series of messages that we started last week uh, in the Bible book of Ephesians. As I shared last week, uh, Ephesians was a letter written by a guy called Paul, who was an apostle. He was a father figure in the early church. He helped to start churches. He helped to nurture them and grow them. And uh, he would move from city to city and nation to nation, seeing different uh, churches started up. And he's written to this church in a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. It was the Roman province of Asia. And uh, he's written to this uh, church in Ephesus to encourage them. And so last week, we saw the birth of this extraordinary church in Ephesus. We saw that, uh, as we read, that the Lord did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. People were getting healed as they just touched his handkerchief or his apron that had touched his skin. People were getting healed. Evil spirits were coming out of people. And this church got birthed in an extraordinary way. And so today, we're going to be digging into this letter that Paul wrote about four years after those events that we covered last week. And he's writing to this church, and he's in prison. Not for the first time, not for the last time. He's in prison in Rome uh, on account of his faith. And he's writing to this church to encourage them. And today we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 1. Before we get there, let me just see a show of hands. Who's on Instagram here, anyone? A few of you. Some of you are young and hip, and some of you are trying to be young and hip. Let's be honest. And, and what tends to happen with social media is that kind of it's for the young and hip, and then suddenly the oldies move in, and then they suddenly move to something else, right? It happened with Facebook. It's happening with Instagram. You're now moving to TikTok, because that's the place to be. Soon, we're going to come for you guys. We really are. And we're going to pretend to come. We're going to be hip and cool and do TikToks, and then you're going to move to something else. That's just what happens. Now, one of the deals with Instagram is that there's hashtags. It's made the hashtag really popular, and some of the big hashtags uh, that are the most popular ones every year are things like hashtag love, hashtag selfie, hashtag sunset, hashtag TBT, which is throwback to or throwback Thursday. Anyone know? Yep. I'm showing how young and cool and hip I am. But the, the, the hashtag that was voted as the most annoying hashtag of all time by readers of the AOL website was this hashtag, hashtag blessed. Okay, anyone, I know that some of you are guilty of putting that on your profile at some point. It's usually used when you've got a bit of a humble brag to make, maybe about some amazing holiday that you've been on in some beautiful location. Uh, maybe it's with your family and they're all, you've choreographed a perfect photo and they're all looking amazing and no one's making a stupid face and you put hashtag blessed just to show everyone how very blessed you are. And it's voted the most annoying hashtag ever because it's really it's kind of a bit of a humble brag thing going on. There was even a film uh, made last year called Hashtag Bless. It's a Christmas movie. I saw the trailer for it. You should watch the trailer for it. It looks like the most awful movie ever made. It looks so cheesy. Uh, if you're into cheesy Christmas movies, that's the place to go. But listen, if, if there was such a hashtag for a Bible book, this, this book, Ephesians, this letter, Ephesians, uh, the, the, the hashtag over it would be about being blessed. It would be hashtag blessed. Because it's all about the blessings of God that he has lavished upon us. And this is Paul writing to this church when he is in chains, which shows, that shows us that really he saw blessings in a very different way to way the way we do in this uh, nation and at this time. He, he saw that he was blessed. And we're going to see, he just kind of goes off on one about the blessings of God. So let's read together. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to read out. The, the verses will be on the screens. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you open it up as well? I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, which is kind of what we're going to be using for the majority of this series. This is what we read. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. These are the saints. These are the people who last week we read were uh, involved in sorcery and magic, and then when they responded to who Jesus is, they burned their books and they, turned, they just turned their backs on all those things. These are the saints. This is who they are now. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What an opening to a letter. You don't read many letters like that. Normally, as a preface in an email, you get, I hope this finds you well. This is Paul just letting rip with all that he is enjoying in his heart. And you need to understand that really there's no apparent reason why he's writing to this church. Lots of the other letters that you read of, these epistles they're called in the New Testament, are written to address a particular situation. There might be a crisis of some sort, there might be um, some false teaching going on, there might be some kind of uh, people causing trouble in a church or people uh, in sin and they need correcting. Sometimes Paul just wants to uh, encourage people to be praying for him as he's on mission or to raise some money for uh, poor people where he's uh, ministering. But there's no apparent reason for him writing this letter other than to encourage the church in Ephesus. Yes, he will come to some really practical things in this letter and we will come to some really practical teaching in this letter, things about marriage, about parenting, about how to live in community life together, how to do life together, how to live in unity despite our diversity. There will be some really practical teaching on work, about how to go through this life, which is like a battle sometimes. And yet Paul wants to, right at the outset, he wants to draw the, the listeners' hearts to the blessings that they have in Jesus. He wants to show them that blessings are far more than about uh, expensive holidays or perfectly choreographed photographs of your family or whatever it might be. He wants to show them that there is something really deep that he is enjoying despite the fact he's in chains and despite the fact that he has no idea what's going to come next. So all, for all he knows, he's going to die next. 
We know that he gets released and later does end up being imprisoned again and later end up being killed for his faith, as history tells us. But at this point, he's got no guarantee what's happening next for him. And yet he's bursting within about the blessings of God in his life and all that God's done for him. As he's doing this, I, I believe that he's wanting to reveal something to his listeners of the extraordinary power that is within him, the, 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 the secret inner power that he has within. I believe he's wanting to show them some things. It's not just the, the church in Ephesus that are receiving this, it's likely the other churches in the province of Asia, these others that got planted out of this church in Ephesus. He's wanting to reveal to them something of the inner power that gives him this ability to live an extraordinary life. Because Paul lived an extraordinary life. Whether you uh, are a Christian or not here, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you believe this is all true or, that, or we're just kind of a bit deluded, Paul is an exceptional historical figure. Really is. And he's, he's a, his history you know, will, will, attain, will attest to the fact that he was a true uh, historical character and the world has genuinely been transformed through his ministry. There's no denying it. And, and history and our nation as the way it is now is shaped by his teaching. As he's followed Jesus and as he's received revelation from God, it, he has been an undeniably fruitful figure. And Paul is wanting to show something of the inner power that is in his heart. He's wanting to reveal something to them. Anyone who's into their films here will probably have watched the Terminator movies at some point. Now, there's a moment in Terminator 2 where Arnold Schwarzenegger, who had the jawline that was always going to be on the, on the movie scenes, he uh, revealed to people who he really is. He reveals something of his inner power. Uh, John Connor, who's the little kid, says, show them. And he shows them. He peels back his skin. It's a bit of a horrible scene. And he shows them that underneath he's really a cyborg. He shows them that actually he's no normal kind of human being. And I believe that in this passage, Paul is revealing some things to his listeners of, of the inner power that he has, the inner power that sustains him, the inner power that causes him to be very fruitful. He's showing them that he has a heart that is daily thrilled by the gospel. He's showing them that he has a heart that is daily thrilled by all that Jesus has done for him, that he's bowled over at this good news, that he's bowled over at the love of God and the blessings of God on his life. And that this is the thing that sustained him, even in prison. And we might think we're going through some tough things right now. That is about as tough as it gets. Not able to freely move around, not able to see people as he wants to see them, with people in his heart that he longs for and wants to be with and encourage, he can't get out. And that doesn't have any of the comforts that we enjoy. Even when we're suffering, we might know some comforts. He doesn't have those things. And yet he is bursting with praise. He, he's, he, he can't, it's, like he's, it's like a song that just kind of spills out of him. He's probably using a scribe to write down his thoughts. His scribe is probably thinking, slow down, Paul, slow down here. Because this is all one long sentence. Verses 3 to 14, there's, in the original language, which was uh, Greek, there is no punctuation here. There's no full stops or commas. We kind of put them in to make the sentence a bit more palatable. Paul is just... It's just coming out of him. He's so uh, overwhelmed with the goodness of God to him that he, he's just, it just flows out from him. This beautiful, these beautiful truths. He's showing that the Christian life, friends, and the inner power to live the Christian life starts not with do, but with done. That this power to live the Christian life and all of the things that we're going to be instructed in as we go through this book, it starts not with do, but with done. 
And there's a great book called uh, The Normal Christian Life by a Chinese guy called Watchman Nee. And uh, he, he wrote a book about uh, uh, um, Ephesians as well called Sit, Walk, Stand. I've got these books. They come together for me. And it says here, he writes, Most Christians make the mistake of trying to walk in order to be able to sit. But that is a reversal of the true order. Our natural reason says, if we do not walk, how can we ever reach the goal? If, what can we attain without effort? How can we ever get anywhere if we do not move? But Christianity is a strange business. If at the outset we try to do anything, we get nothing. If we seek to attain something, we miss everything. For Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Thus, Ephesians opens with the statement that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we are invited at the very outset to sit down and enjoy what God has done for us, not to set out to try and attain it for ourselves. And as he unpacks in this book, Sit, walk, stand. He says, you must, before you walk in God's ways, before you know his instruction, before you seek to, to live this uh, Christian life, you must first learn to sit and take in all that God has done for you. All of the, the practical instructions we're going to come to in chapters 4 to 6, they, they flow from a life that, is, that has first sat and seen, God has blessed me. God has done it, and I, I added nothing to the equation. God has saved me, and all that I added in was my sin and my mess. And he did it. He made the way where there was no way. He dealt with my sin where I couldn't. I couldn't pay it off. I couldn't uh, balance the scales. No, no, he did it. And so we must first learn to sit and take in the blessings. We must first learn to sit and revel in them for ourselves. And friends, this isn't a once kind of, and then do it, do it, and then you kind of just move on. No, no, we do this Daily, We must daily, weekly, monthly enjoy the blessings of God and see that he has done this for us. And our whole life flows from a place of being amazed and reveling once again at what he's done for us. It's not just know some things. It's not just know some facts about what the Bible teaches about how one comes to become a Christian and get saved. But it's actually let it get under your skin and transform you. And, and, and propel you into laying down your life for him as he's first loved us, as he's first poured out grace and mercy on our lives. This is the, the divine impetus that made Paul's life so fruitful. And it's not just Paul that taught this. This is the teaching of the Bible, friends. This is the teaching of the other apostles, the other early church fathers who uh, stimulated church planting and who nurtured churches. This is their teaching too. When you read the epistles, you read these letters in the New Testament, it's not do, 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 and then God will love you, and then he'll accept you, then he'll bless you. No, it's he has done it. The apostle John, he writes in, in 1 John chapter 3, if I can find it, he says this, and this is so important that we, we grasp this order. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. In your version, it might say, behold, behold it, treasure it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And then this is so crucial. In light of those truths, in light of the love of God, that he's made us his children, that we're going to be one day uh, appearing, he's going to appear, and we're going to be like him. In the light of those truths, we see this. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So he's done this. He's lavished the love of God upon us. He's made us his children. One day he's going to appear and we'll be like him. He's made us pure and therefore we now purify ourselves. Do you understand this? This is the, the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of what God has done for us and really the, the, the secret to the inner power that Paul experienced. So I want to just unpack a couple of these uh, blessings that we see in this passage. We see three main blessings. We're going to cover one next week. But the two that I want to cover today are that God has adopted you in Christ and that God has redeemed you in Christ. Next week, we're going to look at our glorious inheritance in Jesus. But today, we want to focus on those first two. And I need you to understand this. All Christians have been equally blessed. All Christians have been equally blessed. We, we, we sometimes look around and we think, they are just, God is, he's blessed them so much more than me. They've got this going on for them. They've got an amazing mind, or they've got this just amazing ability in a particular area, or they've got some material things that I haven't got. We think, they're more blessed than me. No, what we see here is that this is for all who are in Christ, and these are incredible blessings. These are true blessings, because at that, at that moment, in kind of material terms, Paul doesn't look very blessed. Okay, he's sitting in a horrible prison cell. And yet he's saying, this is what the blessing of God looks like. And this is what you need to know. So these two things we're going to look at. In Christ you've been adopted, and in Christ you've been redeemed. So this is what it says in verse uh, 4 to 5. If we just would reread it again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you know him as your Savior and as your Lord, then you have been adopted. You've been brought into the family of God. You've been united with Jesus. We've celebrated this already this morning. You've been united with him. You've belong to God's family. Just as Jesus the Son belongs to his Father, now you belong to the Father because you've been, you've been united to Jesus. You've been hidden in him. He covers you. He covers your sin and your shame. You are joined to him inseparably. You're with him forever. You're a son or a daughter of God. This is such an important truth that we need to allow to get under our skin and to thrill our hearts and to transform us. Listen, it is not just enough to know this as a fact. We need to say, God, would you bring it home to my heart by the Holy Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit that comes to our, uh, our heart and mind and, and testifies to us that we are children of God. We need it to, kind of be, to be known deep within. And where we, we, we need to understand we're, we're far more affected by our thought life than we know. And if we don't really believe this to be true, then it will, it will affect us. I see people who are uh, kind of just walking in, in real insecurity. I can see it, you can see it from a mile off sometimes, where there's, just, there's not this understanding. I'm 
fathered. I'm loved. I'm treasured. I have a father who is the overseer of my soul, who looks out for me, who is attentive to me, who provides for me everything I need, he gives me, who disciplines me. Sometimes we think discipline has to do with punishment. No, it's to do with training. Listen, if you're in, in Christ, if you're united to him, Jesus has taken the punishment for your sins. God doesn't punish you now, but he does He does. Discipline you. He does train you. He does want to uh, just shape you and make you more like his son, Jesus. He wants to kind of conform you to what you already are. You're in Christ, and he wants you to become more and more like his son. You've got a father who is attentive to you. He's never grumpy. He's never uninterested. Never tired. Doesn't sleep or slumber. Doesn't have moments where you can't approach him. You just need to give him a bit of time. No, no, he's a perfect father. And you, have, you, you can know him as your father because this is what he has done for you. He's adopted you into his family. And every prayer you pray, he hears. Nothing falls on deaf ears. He hears you. And you might think, I don't think he has heard me because I've been praying for things and they don't seem to have passed. He hears you. And he, he loves it when you come to him. It delights his heart when his children come to him in prayer. It's like um, a, a beautiful smell for him. We read that in, in the book of Revelation. It's like incense to him when his, when his children, when his, the saints come to him in prayer. He loves it. It thrills him, just as it thrills me when my children jump on me and give me a hug and talk to me. It, it's that times a million. He is thrilled when his children come to him. Do you know you've been adopted? Do you know this deep down? Are you kind of thinking that you, God is just really disappointed with you? Do you feel like you're just a nuisance to God? Do you feel like he, he's not really interested? He kind of just doesn't know what he's taking on, and he's kind of regretting it. Sometimes you, you get a pet, and you think, what have we done? <laughs> you think, why did we take this thing on? We didn't realize this commitment, what it's going to involve. Sometimes you might think, what, you know, God has that towards you. He doesn't. He knew what he was taking on. He's adopted you. This is no second-rate deal. Sometimes we get this in our minds that adoption is some sort of second-rate deal. No, this is in, in the context in which Paul is writing, the emperor at this time of Rome was an adopted son. At that time when Paul wrote, four of the five Roman emperors were adopted sons. This was, a, a, this was an incredible thing because it wasn't something that was just kind of like natural and just happened. This was from the father's good pleasure that they took on a son. And this is what we read here. It's to the Father's good pleasure that he's taken you on. It's to the Father's good pleasure. It's ple it, it pleasures him. It brings him joy to see his sons and daughters. It brings him joy to see you when you come before him. It brings him joy. And, and, and this really needs to come home to our hearts. And I pray, Father, would you help it to come home to our hearts? Would it bubble up with praise? That we would understand, we'd understand, wow, we've been adopted. And we get in on all of the inheritance that Jesus, that Jesus deserves. And we're going to hear more about that next week. We've been adopted into the family of God. I wonder if, if, like Paul, these truths make you sing. 
I wonder if these things uh, cause a song to bubble up within. Or maybe you find worship hard. Maybe you came this morning and you think, oh, I just want to get that bit out of the way. Get me to the announcements. Get me to communion. I'm, I'm all right with that. But I don't like singing. Listen, when we are thrilled by these things, I don't think it, we can help but bubble up in song. As so we're going to respond in song in a, in a few minutes, just to, 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 to the praise of his grace. This is, what, this is what bubbles up within us when we understand these things. If, you, if it doesn't bubble up for you, if you're unmoved by these things, then you, you probably don't understand either the, the, the holiness of God or the, the seriousness of your own sin. Maybe you don't understand either. Paul understood some things, okay? He understood something about the holiness of God. And so zealous was he for the holiness of God, get, this around, get your head around this, that he went around killing people who he thought weren't honoring God enough. He had Christians dragged out of their homes and beaten and murdered. There was Stephen, one of the early church leaders, stoned to death, and we read that Paul was watching on, approving of it. And so he knew something of the holiness of God. It's just so holy. We're to revere him, and he now knows that he was in sin and error because Jesus has come to him said, Saul, that was his old name, why are you persecuting me? So he knows, I'm, I'm a sinful man before this holy God. I'm, a, I'm ruined. And yet God has lavished grace upon me, undeserved grace upon me. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good way to understand what grace means. He has lavished it upon me. That was Paul's uh, understanding. It come to his heart and it, it overflowed with praise. If, it doesn't, if, if you're not stirred by what God has done for you, then you're probably a moralist. You're probably someone who thinks, I will just do some things and then, then God owes me some stuff. Then he probably owes me a good life. If I, do, if I obey in these ways, there's a big difference, isn't there, between uh, something free, freely given to you and what you've earned. No one gets their pay slip at the end of the month and thinks, oh, thank God, I've been paid. Well, praise God for the blessing. No, because I've just worked hard for it. I deserve this wage. This is what I've earned. There's a huge difference here. Because the wages of sin is death, we read in Romans. What we deserve for our sin is death. And we've been given life. We've been given incredible grace. And so it stirs up within us a, a, a beautiful song when we, when we grasp it. And we, we, we learn to trust. We've got a father, come what may. Difficulties might come. Relational difficulties might come or financial struggles, or job insecurity, or health concerns, and we can know, I've got a father who hasn't given up on me. He has said, Not, never will I leave you or forsake you. And so I can trust that he knows what he's doing. He will protect you from all harm that is not ultimately for your good. He'll protect you from it until he calls you home to be with him. Great writer and author, and preacher Tim Keller said, Christians, to the degree that you behold the free grace of God, to the degree that you meditate on it and let it become a holy fire in your heart, to that degree, you're going to be able to say in difficulties, my father must have a purpose here because he loves me. Listen, as we, as we let these things uh, kind of uh, rise up in our hearts, like, as Tim Keller says, like a holy fire, it's then that when difficulties come, we can say, God must know what he's doing because he's taken me on as his son. He's taken me on as his daughter. He's not letting me go. And he's going to conform me to be more and more like his son, Jesus. So ultimately, this stuff, God's going to do good to me in this. I can trust him. I can trust him. You've been adopted in Christ if you've placed your faith 
in Jesus. Second truth we'll just unpack now is that in Christ you have been redeemed. This is what we read in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. We celebrated this morning communion. This is what we're celebrating. We've been redeemed through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. This word redemption not, is not a word we use often. It talks about, it's talking about slavery. It's talking about the fact that we were once enslaved. And chapter 2 will tell us that we were once enslaved to the ways of this world. We just kind of went the way of the world. We went the way that you know, we felt we had to go in order to stick with the crowd. We were enslaved to the cravings of our sinful nature, that our flesh, the things that we just really want to do. We were enslaved to those things. And now we've been redeemed. We've been brought out of slavery. Now, in this church in Ephesus, there were some Jewish people and some non-Jewish people, some Gentile people. The Jewish people at this point, when they hear this word redeemed, they're thinking immediately of the story of the people uh, of God, the Israelites, being taken out of slavery in Egypt. When they hear redeemed through his blood, that's the first thing they're thinking of. They're thinking of this amazing story. Some of you might have seen the film The Prince of Egypt, which depicts it. Uh, maybe you've read about it in the Bible. The people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. They're this great superpower. They're being harshly treated. Wherever the slave master said they had to go, they had to go. Where, whatever they said that they had to do, they had to do. There was no way they could get away with it. And then through some incredible signs, God frees his people. And the culmination of those signs is this horrendous sign, really, that the angel of death would pass over the land of Egypt and take the life of the firstborn son of every family. And the way in which the people of God were instructed to come out from under that curse, or to, to not know that curse upon them, was to take the, a, a lamb and to sacrifice it and to paint the blood of that lamb across their door. And then that night, as the angel of death passed by, they would be spared. Their firstborn child would be spared. And it was from that point onwards that the, uh, the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, said, you can go. And they were on their way. They were redeemed by God, by the blood of the lamb. They were brought out of slavery, into freedom. And not just into freedom, but into a land where they could be known as a people. And we read here that we've not just been taken out of slavery to, uh, to sin, to our, uh, our, our sinful cravings, to the ways of this world, but we've been now redeemed to be united together under Jesus, to be brought into a, a land that is rich, that we might be a people. Like the, the people of Israel were taken into the promised land, that they might be a people with an identity where they might know belonging. We too have been redeemed to be united under Jesus, that we might be his people. And people are looking for a place to belong. Maybe you're looking for a place to belong. Maybe, you just, maybe you're here for that express purpose. Maybe you think, I know some people at Hope. I like what I see. I don't know if I believe all of this, but I want a place to belong. Listen, the, the deal here is that you need to be redeemed from your slavery to your sin and to the ways of this world. And it's by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he wants to redeem you, take you out of that slavery, and he wants to bring you into his people, the people of God, this glorious church. As we look through this book, God wants to display his wisdom to the world through his church. He wants a redeemed people to astonish the world with the way they live. 
with the way in which they are people of his word who take him seriously, people who are filled with his spirit, who walk in his power, who revel in his grace, who rejoice in what he's done, who are prayerful, people from all backgrounds drawn together in Jesus. Glorious church. That's what he's looking for. He wants to display his wisdom to the world through the church. He wants to redeem a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so if you're here today and you think, I want a place to belong, I don't have a place to belong, you need to know Jesus. And he wants to bring you into his church and not just kind of come along as a spectator on a Sunday, but to be a part of the church, to be known, to know others, to live in community. You are not going to know everyone here. It's not going to happen. I don't know everyone here. But you need to know people, people to know you, to be in community. This is why he's come. He's come for people, friends. A people, not just individual people who respond to him and kind of get on with their lives. No, but he's come for a people, united under Jesus. A people who others would look upon and think, they've got not a lot in common. I'm looking, I get a privilege here. I get to look out upon you, and I know a lot of you. And I think there's not a lot in common here. There really isn't. There's some really kind of all walks of life here. And yet we've got the, the greatest thing of all in common if we know Jesus. He unites us. He brings us together. He's coming to redeem for himself a people. So what is God doing in the world? Well, this, this passage shows us some of that. He's working out all things according to the counsel of his will. So you might think, what's God been doing these last two years, seemingly the whole world has been turned upside down in a way that it hasn't been for 80-odd years since the Second World War. The whole world's been affected. We might think, what is God doing? Has he got a plan in all of this? The answer is that he's working on all things according to the counsel of his will. <laughs> the answer at any point in history is that God has a plan and he's working it out. And we can trust him. And sometimes it looks like a tapestry and we see the wrong side of the tapestry. You know, if some of you are into sewing and the, uh, the wrong side of the sewing looks awful, doesn't it? Well, there's loose threads everywhere. And you turn it around and you see what's been worked on. You think, wow, that's what God's doing in the world. He's working something out beautifully. That's something glorious that will be to the praise of his glorious grace. And we sometimes see the, the loose threads. Sometimes we don't see the big picture and the perspective. As we go through this book, we're going to see he's... He's up to something in the world. He's calling together for himself a people, a people from every nation and tribe and tongue who love him and are united in him. So how do we respond to all of this? Well, this, these verses that we've read together, they make it very clear that it's all for the praise of his glorious grace. All for the praise of his glorious grace. And uh, as we close in a moment, we're going to praise him and praise his glorious grace. We're going to revel in it, friends. I want us to know... We don't need to be, listen, I want to speak to actually for a moment to people who are not from this nation. Okay, sometimes you, you come and, and with wonderful humility, you think, I just kind of want to make sure I'm not making a scene here. And I don't I want to kind of fit in and don't want to, you know, look different. I want you to know that this glorious church that we, we read about in Ephesians is one from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so if you want to go for it in worship, I want to go for it in worship, and you can help me as you go for it in worship. Some here may be more reserved just by nature. Listen, as we let the, let the uh, truths of God just come and bubble up in our hearts again, 
I don't think there's any place for reservation, to be honest. Whatever it looks like culturally, some might want to jump and dance, some want to shout, and I don't know. But we want to praise his glorious grace, and that's not a quiet thing. I don't think it's the quiet, reserved thing. I think it's something that is, is exuberant and passionate and zealous. So we want to be those that make an appropriate response to his grace, don't we? Please don't be uh, self-conscious of, well, I'm, I, the way I would want to do it is not the way other people here would want to do it. No, let's go for it in praise. I want to just have a word with, with parents here. Maybe you're, uh, you've got children who are flown the nest and are older now. Maybe you've got younger children. Can I encourage you and urge you to make it your prayer that your children, however old they are, might know this grace. There is nothing better that they could know than the outrageous grace of God. There is nothing, there's nothing more, that, there's nothing better that you could pray for for them that they might know this for themselves. That they might not know just some rules where we, do, we behave like this because that's what we're supposed to do. No, 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 no. That we, we, we see them come to an understanding of what Jesus has done. That the perfect Son of God came down, that he humbled himself, that he made himself nothing. That he died on the cross in our place. That he rose again victorious. That he's now seated in majesty and in glory and interceding for us on our behalf. We want them to know this, friends. We want them to know this. And you might be praying, well, I want them to get good grades. I want them to go to a good university. I want them to get a good job. I want them to get a good house. I want them to have lots of money. Listen, friends, I... When I'm praying for my children, the, the thing that I want more than anything else, I couldn't care less about those things if they don't get this. They need to know this. They need to understand the grace of God. They need to know this. They need to know it in their hearts. Let us pray for our young people and our children. This is the transformative power. This is what it's all about. If you understand, I've been adopted by God. He's redeemed me. He's brought me out. This is what we need for our children and our young people. Should we stand together? We're going we're gonna to rejoice. We're going to sing. I want to lead us in prayer. Uh, in a little while, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to respond to some of the things that were shared earlier. We're so helpful. Some really helpful words about mountains being moved. There's be other things that I'm sure you'll want to receive prayer for. We want to pray for you. But right now, we're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord God, that you have lavished it upon us. We thank you, our God, our Father, that we are sons and daughters. We have now been brought into the family, that we don't have to kind of, uh, kind of worry, is, is dad going to be attentive to us? No, no, you say come. You love it when we come. You beckon us to come. And we want to come now with gladness in our hearts. We want to come with rejoicing in our hearts as we, as we call to mind these truths. We have been redeemed. We've been brought out of slavery. We've been adopted into the family of God. It was nothing of ourselves. It was all of grace. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Let it be that forever our song is about you. Forever the song of our life is about you. Forever the song of our heart is one of your grace. Let us never move on from this. Let us never get tired of celebrating your grace. Let us never get a matter of fact about this, Lord, because you have done what we couldn't do. You have poured out such lavish grace on our lives. And we worship you, Lord. We worship you. You might want to shout and praise him. We love you, Lord. We worship you. You're glorious. You are glorious. Let's enjoy him together.